0: But the prettiest sight to see is the holly that will be on your own front door. Well, good morning. How's everybody? I am so excited that you guys are here. If you're brand new, let me welcome you. Uh, My name's Danny, and I am one of the pastors here at Kessa Church. And you are at our launch of a Christmas series called Chorus. And uh, it's going to be a neat series. I'm really excited about it. There's all kinds of neat things that we're going to be doing throughout uh, today in the next three weeks. One thing we do every single year is something called Red Envelope. Uh, We've done it since we planted uh, almost eight years ago. And what we do is uh, we take a single services offering and we give the whole thing away to someone outside of Kesed. And so here in about three weeks, we're going to do that. We're going to announce who that's going to be next week to you guys. Uh, And then um, later on in the series, we will take that offering and then we will give that entire thing away. And the point of doing that is really just to realize that we're part of a bigger kingdom, right? We're part of a bigger community. And so we we do this and we always have. uh, And it's always sacrificial because between you and me and no one else, the Christmas offering is like a significant offering for churches in their budgets, like It's when all the people that don't normally go to church go to church Christmas and Easter, and they help out, and they get excited, and they get motivated, and then they don't come again. But it's awesome to have them, and they help out. And then to give that away and not use it for stuff you want to do around here, around home, has is, is, is always been kind of a sacrifice, and we realize that's sort of the point. If you could give and it was easy, what does that matter? And so we continue to do that every single year, and I know a lot of you have asked, and uh, with everything going on at Main Street, we just uh, we just felt like it would be best to announce it next week, and that way we could also include them, uh, our downtown campus, Main Street, uh, in what the red envelope even is. Explained this week, and then uh, they can be a part as well. Amen, amen. So this series uh, called Chorus, it it has kind of an agenda, and uh, I want to make sure and uh, and make sure that my agenda and what I think the Holy Spirit's agenda is are the same thing. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop. We're just going to pray for a second to make sure that uh, everybody in the room is, is kind of on the same page. Whether you're a believer or not really makes no difference because the Holy Spirit interacts with you just like he interacts with everybody else, whether you believe he does or not. So <laughs> uh, let me pray for that. And then uh, that, way, that way we sort of have that covering, and then we'll see what God wants to do with our time together. So let's just go there. Lord, I thank you for every soul in this place. I thank you for the ones that you've walked from a long ways away, the ones that... that uh, God, this Christmas, they're 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 asking some questions they've never asked before. They they have experienced you without really realizing it's you, and they know that as their lives have developed, that there's something missing, something that that you've that you've built them to experience that they're not experiencing on a regular level. And so, Lord, I ask that uh, in this room right now, you would just you would just uh, just make things happen. You would make awakenings happen. You would cause people to to look within, to look without, to to look around and to see more than just uh, their own lives as that which sets a pace. Thank you, Lord, that you are our pace setter. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who determines what truth is. Thank you, Lord, that every single Christmas we can take a time out in the busyness of our lives and reflect upon who we are, what we're doing, and where we're going And that, God, if it is within your holy pleasure, we can experience you. And so, Lord, I ask for that right now, that we would just raise this chorus of prayer up to you, this this choir of song we just experienced up to you, that we would raise the single voices of wanting and wandering that are sitting in this room right now up to you. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. May your agenda be the only agenda as we proclaim a Merry Christmas to all, and to all of God's people said, Amen. 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 So um, you know that I have a problem with doing things I've done before. We're going to start off the sermon that way. I, I have a really hard time with two particular, well, four particular services a year, two series, two services. Uh, I have a really hard time doing Christmas and Easter, Mother's Day and Father's Day. And the reason is because I'm stuck within a guideline and a boundary that most people who are coming to church expect. Everyone knows today I'm going to talk about Mary and Joseph. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows I'm going to talk about baby Jesus today. Everyone knows that. And so, therefore, my creativity as an artist is incredibly stunted. Therefore, I'm not going to talk about Mary and Joseph today or baby Jesus. Although I love him. He loves me. We're the best of friends. But I prayed about it, and he said, you don't have to talk about me today. Just talk about me sometime during the series. And I said, we'll see. That's what I said. (laughs) He built me this way, and so this is just where I'm coming from. So I spent some time trying to figure out every single week, every single week, what God wants to show that's fresh for me. Not for you. You may have heard this sermon. You may have heard everything I'm about to share. That's not what it's about. It's about me experiencing the relationship with God that I'm supposed to have so that I can be who I'm supposed to be. And I mean that genuinely, because if I can be who I'm supposed to be, And experience what I'm supposed to have, then you know what ends up happening? You and the Holy Spirit, you end up experiencing who you're supposed to be and having the relationship you're supposed to have. Because you are seeing through me or in me this stuff that's happening to me, and Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day and Father's Day make that really hard because I just gotta walk through a ladder of scripture that you all expect me to do so you can meet your scriptural, spiritual demands and traditions. It's not gonna happen anymore. I'm bored of it. I just am. Is that bad? I'm not bored of Christmas. I'm not bored of Christmas. I love me some Christmas. But I'm bored of the tradition and the way in which we often talk about it because for most of us, it's like turning to the Hallmark Channel, of which I'm on movie number nine. (laughs) I'm going to wreck a Hallmark Channel thing for you. Uh, Recently, a friend of mine bought a bubble machine that creates snow outside their front window. And bubble machine snow has a very specific look that almost all Hallmark channels use in their shows. So from now on, when you see this floaty, kind of light snow all around, it ain't snow, people. It's bubbles. I figured that out in movie number nine. I love the tradition but after a while the plots are all the same and after a while all the plots are the same in christmas and people come and they bring friends and they hope well we'll see and people hope you sing a few uh, you know choruses and you do a few things and and it's fun and and i think that's exciting but it doesn't it doesn't awaken me and therefore i think sometimes not always but sometimes christmas is actually the worst time to go to church because you know exactly what you're going to get and so your little heart of expectation, your big heart of desire that's been let down by churches before, goes in fully prepared. For I know what this is going to be like. I've seen it on TV or I went as a kid. I'm ready. Bring it. And I don't think the gospel's built that way. I don't think the Bible's built that way. When Jesus Christ came, I, I, I know we realize this, but the story of Jesus and the, the story of the gospel is a story of someone came who didn't meet anyone's demands, who wasn't built like anyone thought. I was sitting with a wonderful old person the other day. And they said, you realize that people crucify Jesus. They realize that Jesus made the difference he made because he wasn't black and he wasn't white culturally and traditionally. He was gray. And they just couldn't handle it. He wasn't this full center anti-God. And he wasn't this rabbi Jewish person that lived by every single standard that the men had had set inside their culture. He was this weird in-between thing. And so the sinners were like, I don't think I like you. The Romans were like, I don't think I like you. And the religious people were like, I don't know if I like you. And he was like, that's all right. I'm not here to be liked. I'm here to challenge. I'm here to awaken. I'm here to be what it is that you need, both in your black season, your, your, your what you may see as religious or white season. I'm here to walk with you and meet you exactly as you are. And you might think you're here today to hear a sermon from me, but you're not. You're here because the Holy Spirit brought you here to be awakened and to hear about the harmony that he's bringing to this world through his Christmas story and through his child that he brought. And that's what the series is about. So I did a lot of studying, which I do all the time. And I was studying so much and I came across a sermon that I stole completely. (laughs) It was amazing. I already had the name and I told the team, we're gonna do a series called Chorus, it's gonna be four weeks, what's it about? I have no idea. And they said, what does that mean? I said, I don't know, but Chorus is super clever and then we'll build a choir that we can use all year long. We're gonna do an Easter choir, we're gonna do choirs throughout the year, but Chorus leans into choir and it's four weeks and it's gonna be super creative, let's do it. And they said, awesome, what's it about? And I said, I have no idea. Three weeks ago, they asked me, finally, hey, Christmas is in three weeks, what's Chorus about? I said, listen, I'm excited to tell you guys, not a clue, but I'm going to do so much studying because I study so much. And I did. And I built an idea and a skeleton that didn't really have a good cover on it, but I knew kind of what the series was about. And then I came across a beautiful sermon series built by another person from a while ago. And this is what he said. At our Christmas service, we're going to build a series for four weeks. (gasps) I'm in right there, first off. I'm like, okay, Christmas series, four weeks, all right. And we're going to be taking a unique look at the entire Christmas story. He said, usually at this time, we focus on Mary and Joseph as well as the Bethlehem scene. (gasps) But this year, we're not. He said, instead, we're going to look at Christmas through the eyes of one single disciple. The disciple Luke. And here's why. And this is what... Now it becomes my series because I follow just that alone for further down the rabbit hole, if you will, to figure out what it was that he built that now we built that we're going to experience. Here's what's specific about the disciple Luke and the Christmas story. Luke is the only gospel writer, I don't know if you knew this or not, but to record what may be called the first set of Christmas carols. Specifically, there are four songs found in the gospel of Luke that sum up the entire Christmas story. Four songs. Four weeks and a series called Chorus. And Danny knew then that God was doing what God wanted to do. In spite of any planning or hopes or hard work, he already had this in the bag, which is why some of this is built specifically for some of you. All the four songs found in Luke follow a similar pattern. We're going to talk about this later in the series, but the pattern is quite simple. Within each of the songs, there is always a promise, a fulfillment, and a praise. Four songs. In the gospel of Luke, proclaiming the coming of Jesus, and inside each song is a promise of fulfillment and a praise. This is an incredible tool for us this Christmas season to not lose focus on what Christmas is about, to not get caught up in stuff. If we could be people who lived our lives looking for the promises of God, trusting that God would fulfill those things, and then praising Him for that fulfillment, we would be people who lived radically different than everyone else. It would break our our railroad tracks of this is what it means to be successful. I heard an amazing quote at a conference I got to coach at just a few weeks ago, and the guy said, I'm done trying to be successful. All I want to be is significant. That's all I want to be is significant. I'm done trying to be successful because success changes. According to my season of life, according to what my kids need, according to what my spouse needs, according to what I'm dealing with, you know, it's that, it's that whole tradition of, of uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this, but the facts are the same. You ask people that make $30,000 a year, what would it take to be rich? They say it would be $100,000 a year. You ask people who make $100,000 a year, what would it take to be rich? They say it'd be $300,000 a year. You ask people $300,000, they say a million. True story, I'll find the article if you need it. You ask people who make a million dollars a year, what would it mean to be rich? And they said five million. Because success changes. These things change. How we see the world changes. What I want in my marriage at 22 is different than what I want in my marriage at 40 years old. It changes, it changes, it changes. And so I'm tired of being successful. I just want to be significant. I want to be the dad I'm supposed to be, the friend I'm supposed to be, the person I'm supposed to be. Take religion out of it. I want to be the human being I'm supposed to be. I just don't want to live my life, build an empire, and have people applaud all the buildings I built. Man, Danny was really good at buildings. Nobody could organize like him. All of his stockbrokers, investors, and church members, they all could trust that he was really good with those finances. There won't be another Danny for, well, there already are 10 of them. Because there's a lot of people that have that skill set. But there will only be one father to my children. There will only be, God willing, one husband to my wife. (laughs) I'm going to write that one down. (laughs) I need to focus. (laughs) There will only be one me and the people that I matter to. And so I want to be significant, not just successful. And that's what this series is about. It's about those three things. Would you put them back up? It's about recognizing that the significance of God in our lives is through recognizing his promise, which is what Christmas is about it's about the promise that this world and the way in which you live in don't have to be your end all. It, it's about a fulfillment and recognizing that he came and he, he did all these things that he said he would do. And that because he did all these things he said he would do, we can live lives full of praise. Which means our eyes aren't focused on us or on each other, but instead on him. That's what this series is about. And it was gifted to me. And now I want to gift it to you because it makes me excited. And I hope you're excited. And I hope you stay with it. And I hope you connect. And I hope you ask hard questions. And I hope you wrestle with stuff that only you know you're wrestling with. Because at the end of the day, there's a whole lot of people in this room who know they're successful. But do not know whether or not they're significant. And I think this Christmas season could change all that. So, if you have a Bible, turn to uh, the book of Luke chapter 1. You don't need a Bible. I have all my verses up on the screen, but I do like it. So uh, if you want to start bringing a Bible, that'd be great. If you need a Bible, write it on the communication card. We'll get you one uh, next week, but all the verses will be up there for those of you who didn't bring one to follow along. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to start, and this is the context of the story. Uh, Before Mary was overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus was conceived in her womb, before the Bethlehem story, before the whole experience, there was another family that was visited by an angel that was also told they were going to have a child. Now, Mary and Joseph were unique, right? They were unique because God was using them because they were so different. Mary was unwed. Joseph was obviously a man who had never been married. Mary was very young. Joseph was also fairly young. Uh, uh, and Mary had, had uh, never been really thinking about having a baby at this season in her life, but she was ready for whatever God had. And suddenly the Lord came and used them. Well, this other couple is unique in exactly the opposite direction, this is when you know that the orchestration of God is involved in our lives. Because it isn't just another couple like Mary and Joseph or another couple similar. It is another couple completely on the other side of the spectrum. And their names are Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are not young. And Zechariah and Elizabeth do want children, and yet they are barren. Zachariah and Elizabeth are the polar opposite of Mary and Joseph, and yet the Lord comes to them and does something powerful. Let's read about them and who they are first. Luke 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. These were, this was, this was in this tradition, um, as difficult as not being able to have children is in our culture right now. And I've walked a lot of couples through this, and, and there's couples dealing with this right now inside our church body. And this is one of those things that, that um, is so, so hard to understand unless you've gone through it. It's one of those things that's just really, really difficult. For a lot of people, children are a surprise. And, and for even some people, children aren't really wanted when they started having them. And, and I would even say that's for a majority of people, not the unwanted part, but a surprise or like pretty easy to, to, to create a child and have a child and you just started on your life. But for a group of people uh, in our church body and in our society who have desired children their whole life and then that cannot ever have them, this is an incredibly incredibly difficult journey and thing even right now for me to preach about. In this culture, it would have been just as incredible but even more public. People would have actually thought there was sin in their lives and that's why they weren't able to get pregnant. That's why the the, the, the writer says, and they were blameless and they were upright and they walked in all the statutes. Oh, by the way, they were barren. In this society, that phrase makes no sense. They should have been sin-filled, broken, selfish, prideful people. And that's why somehow, way, they were cursed and unable to have children. But the writer says that's not at all the case. It's a very gray statement, by the way, leaning into what I said earlier. They're barren and they're righteous. They're somehow experiencing struggle and yet they're very spiritual and holy people. This, that's not how the, the, the Old Testament works. That's not how we understand God to be. He blesses those who follow him. He curses those who do not. This is obviously a curse, meaning no matter how good you look on the outside, apparently your heart is dark. I have nine kids. I'm a horrible person, but apparently my outside life doesn't matter because on the inside, my heart is beautiful. This is the culture they lived in. Imagine. And that they continued to serve in spite of being barren and what you may even see or say is being unseen. It was an incredible struggle, for sure the greatest of their lives, for they were people who had waited on the Lord, people who were always waiting and praying, perhaps saying every year, after year, after year, and I know this from experience of working with people in this situation, perhaps this is the year the Lord will bless me with a child. Perhaps this is the year. Eventually, something happens. And Zechariah gets a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go and minister in the temple. And ministering in the temple doesn't happen, uh, but it, for some people, never happens because they would cast lots, which were a lot like dice, to see who would minister. And they felt like the lots were spiritually uh, orchestrated at the time to determine who they wanted. And at this particular time, God said, okay, I'll use your medium. God says, no problem. No problem. Zachariah's coming in the temple and the lots fall to Zechariah. and of course you can imagine the echo of, of, of disbelief that went through the culture because Zechariah and his wife are cursed how would the lots fall on Zachariah to enter the temple of this holy place when he's cursed and God's like yeah how did that happen I don't even know Zachariah, I couldn't even imagine. See, this is when we read scripture and we don't pause. So let's just do verse 5 real quick. Um, In the days of Herod, I'm sorry, let's just do verse 8. Let's pick up where we were. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, the casting of lots, to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Okay, don't read any further. Just keep it there. Here's the thing. First, we read stuff and we just blow by this conversation. Lot's cast. Someone says, Zechariah, you're going in the temple. Zechariah says, me? Someone else whispers, but his wife's barren." Zechariah just waits to see, are they going like, to not follow the lot system? I mean, that would be... That would be pretty different, but at the same time, my wife is barren, and they go, No, no, uh, we're gonna we're gonna follow the lot system, Zachariah. Fist bump, you're going in the temple. <laughs> kind of an awkward fist bump, right? Like no eye contact fist bump, which is sometimes hard to do. Like just, you know. Zachariah kind of backs out of the circle and then sprints home as fast as his 89-year-old legs can bring him. You know, or however old he is. Runs home, opens the door. I assume that uh that uh that Elizabeth is sleeping because at 90 years old, that's what you do most of the time, right? So he wakes her up, he's like, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. <laughs> that wasn't offensive. 90 years old, you were sleeping a lot at 90. No, okay, you know what she's doing? She's, she's, uh, she's hula hooping, that's what she's doing. She's jumping rope, she's jumping rope. Just keep it, she's jumping rope. I mean really jumping rope, like doubling up and everything. He brooks in the house and he's like, he's like, he's like listen, He's like, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, put down your, your rope. We got to talk. Or most likely he's like, Elizabeth, it's three in the afternoon. I need to talk to you. You choose, you choose whatever's more realistic, right? Jumping rope or waking her up. Either way, they have a conversation. I guarantee it. They have a conversation. And he says, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, I'm going in the temple. And she's like, what? But, but we're, I know how, cast lots. And the lots fell on you. The lots fell on me. I'm going in the temple. What are people going to say? We have no babies. And you're going in the temple. I'm going in the temple. This is unbelievable. I'm so excited. I'm so excited too. Then temple day comes. Can you imagine temple day? How excited? That's like, I couldn't even fathom the conversation. Or as he gets in, do you not think he turns and looks at the crowd to see Elizabeth who's there? like, Like, you're going in. It's like, I'm going and he goes in this temple to minister before the Lord. And then he doesn't come out. <laughs> he, like for a long time. And that's exactly what happens in this verse next. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. And fear fell upon him. and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared i love 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 that this is happening to him see This is what Christmas is supposed to be about. It's supposed to be the using of people who didn't expect to be used. That's why I prayed earlier in the room. We're going to change agendas here. You might have an agenda. I certainly had an agenda for the service. But the agenda of this service, I think, is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. As we said inside what the Holy Spirit's doing, and we rest inside of it, and that is this. There are people in this room you did not expect to get impacted in this way. And that's exactly why you're here. It's either because of your past, because of your choices, because of where you come from, because of how you think, whatever it is that you believe has caused you to be barren inside. And suddenly, God, through his Holy Spirit, is saying, hey, I'm going to do something in your life. And you're like, what? In my life? Like, during Christmas? During the celebration of the boy who's coming, you're going you're to impact my life? And God's like, yes, I am. The verse goes on. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is fairly advanced in years. I'm pretty sure she's home right now taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> and he, the angel said, and no, she is jump roping. <laughs> it's right there. It's right there. Unbelievable. She is jumping rope. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, by the way, Zechariah, and behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting outside for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple, because they knew how long it takes, and he didn't come out. And when he finally came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Now, here's just a quick question. We've got to be really careful with this concept. Okay, let's imagine these people are both 89 years old, whatever that looks like. Okay, whether they're sleeping or jumping rope. He can't talk. He comes home and he's got to tell his wife. We're supposed to make a baby. Like, like he has to communicate. The angel said we're, we're going to have a baby. And she's like, I am sleeping, Zachariah. And he it, whatever it is, like he is mute. And he is supposed to communicate this experience that happened in his life. I love this. And he's supposed to experience this this, this obvious awakening of, of, of all new calling that God wants for him, and he can't even share it with his mouth. Now, this is, the, this is really important. There's a whole bunch of people that, have, that, that evaluate their Christian walk based on how well they do what I do. Pastors for years have presented themselves as the epitome of what Christianity looks like. The last question is like this. How many people you brought to the Lord this year? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. None? Really? Really? And you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't brought anybody to the Lord this year. But I don't speak well. I don't share well. I don't, I don't, that's not my thing. But maybe it should be my thing. And maybe I'm supposed to do what he does or what she does or what they do. And the, I'm here to tell you this verse is a wonderful example of God's like, I don't need your mouth. I just need your heart. God is not into what it is that I do or you do. God is into what he gets to do through us. And how he gets to walk us into our futures and into our relationships. And he doesn't want your skill set or desire for a skill set or desire for whatever, again, you think is successful. He wants you to be significant. And Zechariah was significant even without preaching or teaching or even speaking to his wife. In verse 24 after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach, look what she says, among people. See, this was her curse. This was the thing everybody knew that's public about her. I have the unfortunate privilege of walking a lot of people through great trial, and there are two different, very distinct kinds of paths you can walk through trial. The private one, where it's you and me, or you, me, and your spouse, or, or, or you, me, and a counselor, whatever it is, and you walk through this trial, and it's hard because it's lonely, but not a lot of people know about it, and, and yet at the same time, you're called through the Holy Spirit to overcome whatever this thing is that you're wrestling with. Addiction oftentimes uh, can be like that. But addiction also can oftentimes be very public. And when you walk through something public, When you walk through something that everybody knows, it's a whole different kind of path. It's a whole different kind of experience. Elizabeth had walked through a public barrenness in a culture that said your value is found in your children. So when she hears that God is blessing her with a child, the first thing she says is in spite of how this culture sees me, in spite of what this culture believes I am, God is still using me? Now, I don't know how or why that relates to many of you in the room, and I'm not going to need to. The Holy Spirit does. But there are people in this room that because of what you've experienced in the past, specifically if it's public, private as well, but public, you don't believe God will do anything with you because you've already tainted the story of your life. And that's just simply not true. If anything, you're probably primed for a story. You're primed for something that only God gets credit for. You're primed, if you're 90 years old, to have a baby here anytime. <laughs> you're primed for stuff like that, right? Not that particular one, but stuff like that. You're primed to have these experiences, and because then when they happen, you do what they do. You, you recognize the promise, you've experienced the fulfillment, and then you do what they do, and you proclaim the praise, and you say to people, "Look what God did in my life. Look what God's doing in my life. God is real. God is alive. And I am loved by Him." They started off barren and unseen, and then the angel told Gabriel, "You're going to get pregnant," and they became broken and believing people. This was a fairly confusing miracle because not only did they get pregnant, but but Zachariah still couldn't talk. So this is one of those experiences where you're blessed, but there's also a brokenness that comes along with the blessing. I see this a lot in people. People will be blessed with finances and then, and then turn into kind of people that you can tell have finances. Yeah? Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool to be blessed with finances and just still be a normal person and just love people, be able to help if you want or not, But when your end game is to let everybody know that you have finances, then your whole world is about success, not significance. There's always, it seems, a brokenness that comes with blessing. And in this case, the brokenness was not allowing Zechariah to experience it fully with proclamation and still maintaining uh, his muteness. We skip forward now to the crescendo of the story. This is... When these people who were barren and unseen, who then were broken and believing, as this pregnancy kept going, and yet still the muteness occurred, then became people who were blessed and blessing. Luke 1, skip to 57, talks about the birth of John the Baptist. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And it's as if God just wanted to make sure Zechariah did the right thing, because there was no ability for him still to talk. And so it says... That, they, that he asked for a writing tablet, verse 63, and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wandered and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke blessings on God. And fear came on all the neighbors and all the things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, "When, what, when, what then, will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him?" So they went from a barren and unseen people to a people broken. But still believing, because there was a pregnancy, yet there was this muteness, which clearly would have been an extension of the curse and there's confusion among the people that they thought they had. To eventually, John being named by his mother and his mute father, and so, then Zachariah's mouth opening, and so them now being people who are blessed and blessing others and the whole countryside comes forward. Not because there was this little miracle, not because there was this incredible explanation, but because people were willing to be honest and open about their story and about what God was doing and they were willing to go where he wanted and be who he wanted and so suddenly God's glorified through their lives. They were, ready? Significant. They were significant. At that age with a child and the barrenness and the, the mute curse. And yet they were significant. People from all over were talking. And they became people who were blessed and blessing. For they had experienced a healing and a miracle all at the same time. And everyone knew it. It's at this point right now that Zechariah became overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. And his prophecy began to pour forward through the first of the songs that I want to read to you. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 67. Listen to this. After his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, and this is what he said. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. First part of the phrase, of the, of the praise, is really Zechariah recognizing that through the gift of his son, who would proclaim the coming of the Messiah, God has not forgotten his people. He's not forgotten his promises to Abraham. He's not forgotten his promises to this world. He has not forgotten his promises. And he proclaims in front of all the people this simple, basically, this synopsis I see you and I am seen. God, I see what you're doing here. And I know you see me in it. I see you, and I am seen. In our world right now, in our country right now, we have people who are like, well, this is it. This is it. And people love to try to drag me into all kinds of debates about all kinds of things, and I am a masterful avoider. I mean, I am so slippery, it's ridiculous. Right? I will answer all your questions without answering anything. Because that's not my role. That's not my job. But I guarantee you this. When it's time for it to be it, it'll be it. And until it's time for it to be it, it won't. Just think on that for a second. That was profound and really frustrating, Pastor Danny. That was very profound and really frustrating. I'm not worried about it. I'm not saying we shouldn't stand up and do stuff. I'm not saying we shouldn't sit down and be quiet. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is... When we stop realizing that God's got it, that God sees us and that God sees it, then we will continue to be people who can't be in relationship with people because it's the success of our party or our situation or our agenda. But instead, what we're called to be is significant in the kingdom of God. This Christmas, you have an opportunity to be significant in people's lives. Around the tables you're going to sit, the politics of your life will come up. Choose to be significant with your conversation. Not successful at defeating the other person's point of view. Choose to be significant if you have children of a different age group. They see stuff different. Choose to be significant and proclaim, here's what I know. God has it. And God sees me. And this isn't just a scene and being seen on some cosmic heavenly scale, but intimately and personally seen and shown because God continues to desire relationship with you. The first part of Zechariah's song speaks to this through hundreds of years of God's working among his people, Abraham and the covenant and all those big things that those of us who love scripture understand. The rest of us, God promised he would save and through the Messiah whom John was introducing, he's gonna save. He speaks to those promises given to God given by God to a whole people, a nation. And then he switches complete gears because that's what so many of us expect. And then at this point, he changes it all and instead speaks specifically to a promise of John. Zachari- or Luke 1, I don't know where it is, Ryan. I lost it. 76. 76. Luke one seventy six and you, child, this is when he switches, and now he's switching to, be, to make it intimate with this child. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High God, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of their tender mercy for our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He literally says, not only is God going to do this thing for our people, he's going to do this thing for us. He's going to do this thing for me. And he's going to use John, who's going to introduce Jesus, to do it. This is the most powerful part of the song for one very specific reason, because if you don't recognize that the Christmas story is your story, then you've missed the whole thing. If you think it's just a, a, a time to purchase, if you think it's a time for God to redeem his nation and his people, which is important, I just preached it. But you don't think it has to do with you, his child, his creation, then you will miss the significance of it. And you will instead be people who determine how well Christmas went by its success, how much profit, if that's the industry you're in, or how much did you save and not lose your mind in spending. But if it's about significance, then you will ask, What is my part in this story? Zechariah knows that John will be God's messenger. He knows that John will do this powerful thing. Hear this. He knows that John will introduce the Savior. but this is the thing that is so powerful about Zachariah's song. This is the thing that I think people miss over and over and over. He proclaims Jesus, He proclaims John, but what he does by saying, "You, my son," is proclaiming, guess what? I Zachariah, I get to be his father. I'm in the story. Like, I'm part of the story. He could have said, John, you're going to do this amazing thing. I can't believe God's using you. He's like, oh, John, God's going to do something with you. But you're my son. It's like one of those fathers whose sons won a game-winning shot, and everybody's applauding the son, and he's like, that's my kid. I'm in the story. See, Christmas every year, year after year after year, becomes so much about Jesus, which it is, that we then forget we're in the story. And it becomes so much about the success he brought to the world and for salvation, which it is, we're going to talk about it, that we forget it's inside and for our story. If you miss that, then you miss the entire revolution that God brought through Jesus Christ, that he came to be in relationship, that he chose more and more Zacharias to use. They were called the disciples, people that people thought were cursed or uneducated or silly or with with past of failures or whatever it was. And he goes, you're in my story. I'm in your story. We're doing this thing together. And so it forever changed the world. Christmas is supposed to remind us that God is still using average people like Zechariah, people like us with struggles and stuff to share the good news of the child king who saves. It's not just to share about the child king. It's to remind you and I that we are in the story. There are so many applications we could draw out of Zachariah's story and song, but I think one thing comes through loud and clear for me. Our story, our significance, is best lived out within God's story. And if you miss that this year, then you're just going to be another person well marketed to who buys into the huff and puff of this holiday without realizing this entire holiday is about you. (laughs) Zachariah understands the significance of his story because his struggles and stuff, his barren and unseen life, his broken and believing life, his blessed and blessing life, the story of his life, in spite of all its short fallings, becomes used by God to change the world forever. And so he becomes part of the cosmic choir of God's harmony at work. Maybe this Christmas will be different for you. Maybe you can be part of the choir. Maybe you can see and be seen. Maybe you can think different about whether your drive is to be successful or significance and what significance means for you. Maybe you're so caught up as a religious person in the story of Jesus, you didn't even realize you're part of the story. Maybe you're so not caught up in the story of Jesus that you thought you were the only part of the story. Maybe it's something a little more gray than that. (laughs) Maybe it's both. God wants to bless your life and he wants to do it through the revelation of himself for there is no greater gift he can give than himself. That's what this Christmas is about. That's what this little sermon is about. And that's what God's offering you to be connected to this holiday. Let's pray. <sighs> Heavenly Father, there are so many incredible people in this room right now, and they have done incredible things without you. And yet, Lord, I think for some, they still know there's something missing. I ask, Lord, that there would be no religion, no drama, no sales pitch that would convince them that they are in need of a God who loves them, a God who created them, the God who built them, but instead, God, they would hear the quiet whisper of your presence in their life. Their presence... God, that you have been with for so long, that you have walked alongside, may they for the first time ever experience that you were there. God, you loved us so much. You lifted us up. You pulled us in to your story. You gave us an opportunity to, to be part of something so much bigger than ourselves. You forgive, you heal, you make new, you restore. God, more than anything else, I ask that people in this room would experience the story of the Christ child from within this year. We thank you for that love, Father. We thank you for that place that you brought us as we reflect now upon how we're part of this story. We lift this time